Well, we believe that Jesus is still rolling stones away. And so whatever challenges or doubts or fears that you've walked in here with today, the resurrection of Jesus is a reminder that God is for you. Well, happy Easter, everybody. So great to have you at the crossing today. If this is your first time here, we're just so honored that you would be here and be our guest today. And I also want to welcome all of those who are joining us, our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. But I especially want to give a big welcome to our St. George microsite that rented out a theater this weekend for Easter. So let's give them all a huge round of applause. Love you guys. Glad that you are here. Well, when I was growing up, my dad had a nickname for me. My dad used to call me Shane the Pain. I don't know if it was one of those nicknames that there was too much truth in it or not, but when I go home, there's people at my home church that still call me Shane the Pain because you, you know, no matter how old you get, you can't quite outgrow the people that you grew up with. These days, a lot of people just call me SP, you know, for Shane Phillip or senior pastor, and it kind of goes for both. But here's the deal with, with nicknames. Nicknames are often this term of endearment. One of our pastors on staff, his name is Jeff Long, and we just call him J-Lo. It's this term of endearment that we have for him. But a nickname can also become part of your identity as well. And so I was thinking about just some of the famous nicknames of people. And so I just have a few of these that you can help me guess. These George Herman Ruth, his nickname is what? Babe Babe Ruth. LeBron James is what? King James, Mike Tyson, Iron Mike, Michael Jordan is Air Jordan. But I don't know if anybody has more nicknames than Shaquille O'Neal. Here is all the nicknames that he has given himself. Shaq, Superman, Diesel, Shaq Diesel, MDE, which is most dominant ever, the big Shamrock, the big Shaqtus, the big Daddy Shaq, Daddy Aristotle, the big Aristotle, Manny Shaqiao, and Shaq Fu. <laughs> and so after all of that, I've just decided that I need a new nickname. And so instead of the Terminator, I'm going to be called the Sermonator from here on out. That's, that's my new nickname. Well, Jesus even gave nicknames to his disciples. Simon Peter, he called the rock. Now, how cool of a nickname is that? I mean, Jesus gives you the name the rock. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. It kind of sounds like this wrestling match, doesn't it? You know, in this corner, we've got the rock taking on the sons of thunder over here. But maybe the most famous nickname of the disciples is this one right here, Doubting Thomas. Man, how would you like that to be your nickname? How would you like your legacy to be that you doubted the resurrection of Jesus? But that nickname is pretty unfair because Thomas wasn't always a doubter. When Jesus would go up to Jerusalem and he would teach, that's where the temple was. And so when he would teach in the temple courtyards, many times he would speak against the religious leaders. He would talk about how they were hypocrites. Well, they got so tired of it that they decided that Jesus must be eliminated and they wanted to kill him. Well, Jesus had a friend of his by the name of Lazarus, who dies. And Jesus says, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
But the disciples warned him. They said, if you go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And Thomas, Thomas is the one who rises up and he says, let us all go that we may die with him. I mean, that's like a brave heart moment right there. Well, today I want to teach out of John chapter 20. And I'm going to have the scriptures up here on the screen, but let me give you just a little bit of background about John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, it is Easter morning, and Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. The reason that she's doing that is because men had done it on Friday night, and she figures they must have done it wrong, and so she's going to go do it right. But she doesn't know how she's going to roll the stone out of the way. Well, when she gets there, the stone has already been rolled out of the way, and she thinks that maybe his body has been stolen. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I heard this stone being rolled away, I always thought, you know, it'd be like this Indiana Jones kind of stone. You know, how would anybody do that? Well, I just got back from Israel a couple weeks ago, and they actually made a recent discovery of what this stone would have looked like. It would have been just like this, and this was an actual discovery over the face of a tomb, and so... Jesus had rolled that back. Well, Mary Magdalene becomes the first person that Jesus appears to after the resurrection. And this is so cool. Because in a culture that treated women like second-class citizens, Jesus never did. And in fact, Jesus elevated the importance and the status of every woman. And so not only did Jesus appear to a woman for the first time, He appeared to a sinful woman who had a sinful past. Well, she's so excited that she goes and tells the disciples. But outside of Peter, none of the disciples have seen him. And so we're going to pick up the story on Easter Sunday night. And here's what it says in verse 19, John 20. It says, on the evening of the first day, so this this is Easter evening, the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear um, fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be still. Well, they're all locked up and Jesus just figures, you know what? I've risen from the dead. I'm not using doors anymore. And so he just appears right there. He doesn't come in through the door. He just appears among them and he says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you, because the disciples, they are scared to death. There's a lot of rumors flying around. Some say that Jesus is alive. Others are blaming the disciples for stealing the body, and so they are fearful for their lives. And so Jesus just wants to calm them down. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says, after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And so he's showing them, it really is me. You can see the scars in my hand. You can see my side. But Thomas was not there. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, have you ever felt like you missed something important? You went to the ball game. And your team was so far behind that you left the game early, and then it was the greatest comeback of all time, and you missed it. Or maybe there's this TV show that everybody has seen, but you're, you feel like you are the only one who has not seen it. Well, Jesus shows up to the other disciples, and for whatever reason, 
Thomas missed it. And his response is probably not that much different than what our response would be. It says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas hears all the stories, and he's just skeptical enough. This just doesn't sound right. Maybe he thinks, you know, Peter's an emotional guy. Peter said and did some of the craziest of things, and so this is just wishful thinking. You know, he hears these two stories of the story of these two guys that were on this road to a city called Emmaus, and they start walking with Jesus, have dinner with Jesus before they even recognized that it was actually Jesus. And maybe he's thinking, come on. I mean, come on. See, here's what Thomas knew. Number one is that Jesus died. And he was executed by professional executioners. These were guys who did this for a living and they knew what they were doing. They knew how to execute somebody and put them to death. And just to make sure that Jesus was dead, they pierced him with a spear and it would have gone up underneath the ribs, into the heart. And what we know is, is, is that water and blood came out, which means that Jesus was already dead. And so he knew, number one, Jesus died. And here's number two, is that Jesus was buried. According to Jewish tradition, they would have wrapped the body up in some material, linen type of material. And according to the Bible, they used 75 pounds of spices to overcome the stench of the decomposition. Well, he wants evidence. Thomas wants evidence. Unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my finger in the nail marks, unless I put my hand on his side, I am not going to believe. So how would you finish this sentence? Unless I see what? I'm not going to believe. Unless I see my marriage get better, I will not believe. Unless I see my finances turn around, I will not believe. Unless I see my son or daughter stop suffering, I will not believe. See, all of us have these crisis of faith moments where we wrestle with our doubts. In the video that you just saw earlier, Josh and Kayla had that crisis of faith moment where they had to decide if God could be trusted or not. Well, fast forward a week and we see how Jesus handles Thomas's doubts. It says a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, not using doors. I've risen from the dead. I'm not using doors. I'm just showing up in rooms. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. See, the week before, Thomas wants to see three things. He says, I want to see the nail marks. I want to touch them with my hands. I want to put my hand in his side. And Jesus tells him, you do all three. I love this. I love this because Jesus doesn't get mad at Thomas and say, Thomas, I told you I was going to rise from the dead. I mean, how many times did I have to tell you and you didn't believe? Jesus doesn't give him a new nickname. 
He doesn't say, you know, from now on, I'm going to call you Doubting Thomas. See, Jesus did not give him that nickname. We gave him that nickname. For some of you, you think that Jesus looks with disgust at you and your past. You think that that Jesus would define you by your very worst moments in your life. But Jesus does for you what he does for Thomas. Just as he met Thomas right where he was, Jesus meets you right where you are. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. This is his confession. See, he's not just convinced of the resurrection. The resurrection convinces him that Jesus is who he said that he was, which is the Son of God. And then Jesus addresses you and me. Here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are all those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, none of us have seen Jesus None of us have. But maybe you're like Thomas and you just have these doubts. You just wonder, is this really true? I mean, come on, is this really true? Here's the good news for you. Is that you can have doubts and still follow Jesus. All of Jesus' original followers had doubts. That you don't have to let your doubts take you out. That you can still follow Jesus even though you don't have all those worked out. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the anchor of our faith. Let me just let you in on just a little secret. See, Christianity is not based on a book. We we don't believe because the Bible says so. Christianity is not based on a book. Christianity is, is not based on a teaching. Christianity is based on the resurrection of Jesus. And so if Jesus did not rise from the dead, game over. But if he did, it changes everything. And there are reasons that we can believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just give you three reasons. Let me just give you three reasons. Here's this first one. It's the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Let me show you this picture that that I took when I was in Israel just a couple weeks ago. That these right here, I'm standing at the top of the Mount of Olives. So if you've ever heard of that place, the Mount of Olives, read about it, I'm standing at the top, and these are all tombs right here. Some of them are thousands of years old. We also got to walk by the tomb of King David. I mean, how cool is that? People wait in line to be able to just walk by his tomb. See, burials were a big deal to the Jews. If Jesus never rose from the dead, they would have created a shrine around his tomb, and people would have traveled all over to see it. See, no one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Mary was shocked when she shows up and she sees that the stone's been rolled away. She thinks that somebody stole the body. Peter and John didn't know why the tomb was empty. In fact, it was not the disciples who first claimed that the tomb was empty. You want to know who first claimed that the tomb was empty? It was the religious leaders who were trying to put an end to this movement. See, I think this this first reason is so powerful. It's the empty tomb. But here's the second reason right here. It's the eyewitness appearances. That Jesus appeared at least 12 times, 12 different times to hundreds of different people. He appeared small groups and large groups. He appeared indoors and outdoors. 
He appeared to skeptics and believers. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about the appearances of Jesus. He says, and that he appeared to Cephas, this is just Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom still are living, though some have fallen asleep. See, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, most of these people are still alive. Go ask them. They were there. Go ask them. See, everybody loves the life and teaching of Jesus. Everybody does. Even non-believers do. But everything you know about Jesus came from the people who said that he rose from the dead. Let me say it again, because a lot of times, you know, we think, well, I just want to just study the words of Jesus. Well, everything you know about Jesus, it came from those who said that Jesus rose from the dead, people like Matthew. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. He was this crooked IRS agent until Jesus told him to follow him. And Matthew says, I was there. I saw him die and I saw him rise again. John, John was the first disciple who saw the empty tomb. And he says, I witnessed the resurrection with my own eyes. Paul says that there was 500 witnesses of Jesus at the same time. When you look at the eyewitness testimony, it is irrefutable. But I think this third one is maybe the most powerful. Because we have the empty tomb. We have the eyewitness appearances. But third, it is the radical change in Jesus' followers. It's the radical change. How else do you explain the transformation of Peter, who goes from saying and doing some of the dumbest things to leading this new movement? The Apostle Paul, who was persecuting the Christians, he goes from persecuting the Christians to writing half of the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after the resurrection, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. What would it take you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? He'd have to rise from the dead, right? Well, that's exactly what happened here. The disciples go from hiding in this upper room because they're scared for their lives to changing the world. Ten of the disciples, ten of the twelve disciples, were tortured and killed because of their faith in Jesus. People do not knowingly die for a lie. See, I have to be honest with you, this is so helpful for me. Because you have Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years, he heard Jesus teach unlike any other teacher had ever taught. He even witnessed Jesus raising other people from the dead. But he struggled with his own doubts. He had his own doubts. But when it comes to the resurrection, there's just too much evidence. And the resurrection, the resurrection took Thomas from doubt to belief. And the resurrection can do the same thing for you as well. Well, right after this story of Thomas, the Apostle John, who, who writes this gospel, he pulls out of this story and he says this to us. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I mean, doesn't this just make you wonder, what other signs did he perform? He says, there was a lot of others, but not all, all of them are in this book. He says, but these are written but these are written that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, that's what this is all about. So maybe the question for you is this right here. Do you believe? Do you believe? See, for some of you, I want you just to pay attention to me right here because for some of you, you've given yourself a nickname that has become your identity. For you, you've just given yourself a name like, I'm just a doubter. I'm a failure. I'm an addict. I'm never good enough. See, those are not the names that Jesus gave you. Because the names that Jesus gave you is forgiven. Child of God, you are a son or a daughter of God. That is the name that he's given you. So how do we respond to all this? What do we do with all this? Well, in every instance in the Bible that we know, when someone came to faith and belief in Jesus... They demonstrated that belief by being baptized by water. When we were in Israel, um, we had the opportunity to go to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, and I baptized a bunch of people from our group. Um, This last year, here's a picture that I took from the Jordan River. This is my friend um, Brian and Emily, but look, it's like John the Baptist is on a paddleboard right behind us. (laughs) Just want to just kind of check things out, I guess. But look at this picture right here. This represents what baptism means. That when you go under the water, that represents the death and the burial of Jesus. And then when you come up out of the water, this represents the resurrection of Jesus. It is new life. It is new life for you. See, baptism was such a big deal to Jesus that Jesus walked 60 miles to go and be baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus went into the water, and he was baptized. And after he was baptized, heaven opened up, and God says, This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. See, that's how Jesus started his ministry. You want to know how Jesus ended his ministry? The last thing that Jesus told us after the resurrection is he commanded for us to be baptized to publicly identify with Christ. It's this picture of going from death to life. It's what Easter is all about. Now, sometimes people ask, they'll they'll say, Shane, can I go to heaven without being baptized? Well, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We believe that Jesus is the one who does the saving, that Jesus saves you. But, But let me tell you what bothers me about that question. Because what you're saying is, is that Jesus died for me. Jesus suffered on the cross for me. Jesus was buried and rose again for me. Jesus was baptized as an example for me. And then Jesus commanded all of his followers to be baptized. But Jesus, I'm going to take a pass on this one. Listen, I just don't get that. I don't understand anyone who wants this new life in Christ why they wouldn't do the very first thing that Jesus asked them to do. Maybe you say, well, my parents had me baptized as a baby. Let me tell you, I think that's fantastic. Because what your parents were doing is they were dedicating you to know Jesus. Well, now it's your opportunity to build on what they did. Because in the Bible, everybody who has put their faith in Jesus and was baptized, they put their faith first. 
So we believe that that's what you have to do first. You have to be old enough to put your faith and then you're baptized. And you get to be baptized in the same way that Jesus was. Well, some of you go, I couldn't be baptized today. Listen, Shane, I've got this thing. I've got this issue. As soon as I fix that, then I'll get baptized. Well, if you could fix yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus to cleanse you. Baptism is about this new life in Christ. And you go, well, I I just, it's great saying, okay, I'm in, but I just didn't come prepared. Well, we prepared for you. We have a t-shirt for you that we're going to send you home with. You can have it. We got shorts for you. We have cornered the market on towels. We have so many towels out there that you can use whatever you need. And so today, we're baptizing anyone who is sixth grade and above. If you have a child who wants to be baptized, we have a special class for them. And so you can just talk to one of our staff out there, and they'll kind of guide you through this process. So if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, what is stopping you from being baptized today? Both here and at the Southeast Campus, we've got baptistry out in the courtyard. We've got a pool out in the courtyard, and out there, ours has been heated. It's warm. It's ready for you. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who had been a persecutor of Christians, when he becomes a follower of Jesus, there's this guy who helps the Apostle Paul start his relationship with Jesus. This guy's name was Ananias. And here's what Ananias said to the Apostle Paul. He just says this, he goes, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so I just want to ask the same question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There is no better day than today to be baptized into Jesus. And today is the day to get up, to be baptized to wash away all of your sins and all of your past. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so here's what we're going to do. In a minute, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask that anybody who is surrendering their life to Jesus and making the decision to be baptized, to stand. Now I understand this will take courage, but here's the reason I'm doing this. Is I want this moment to be cemented into your head forever. I never want you to forget this moment. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm just going to pray over you. For the rest of us, you know what we're going to do, right? We're going to cheer them on. We're going to cheer them on. We're going to join God who says, that's my son. That's my daughter. And them, I am well pleased. So this is your moment. This is your moment. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, you can stand up. One. It's time. It's time no matter what doubts you have. Love this. Two. can say yes to Jesus. And three. Stand up. Congratulations. Congratulations. Who else is standing right now? Congratulations. Love this. Who else? Are there others? Are there others? I love this. Congratulations. Very cool. Very cool. It's not too late. Is there anyone else? Congratulations.
want you to stay standing. I just want to pray over you. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for everybody who is standing right now, standing here, standing at the Southeast Campus, maybe standing in St. George as well. God, we celebrate with them new life. We thank you for Jesus who came, that he died for us, but he did not stay in the ground. He rose again, and that's what we celebrate. So thank you for all of those who are standing to start new life. And maybe those who didn't have the courage to stand up, but they're standing up in their heart and they're saying, I'm in. I'm committing my life to Jesus. So God, we celebrate that. And we pray all this in the powerful, life-changing, life-saving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's give them a hand. Well, happy Easter. So honored that you joined us today. Go out and celebrate baptisms with us, and we'll see you next week as we begin a brand new series called Majnik. See you then. Bye-bye.